Turn with me to Romans 2. We're going to be looking at verse 17 through the end of chapter 2, verse 29. Before we do that, let's go again to the Lord in prayer and ask that He would bless our time in His Word. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we understand from the Scripture that You are the strength of our life and our portion forever, so as we open Your Word, we pray that You would teach us that, that we would stop looking for that elsewhere, that You would change us from Your Word. We pray this in Your holy name. Amen. So as I prepared for this passage today, it, this, uh, this particular passage in Romans reminded me of my own beginnings as a Christian uh, way back in 90, fall of 96 here at Murray State and how the Lord has worked in my heart over the years. It's amazing how the Lord can use someone who is and was so full of himself and smug in their own righteousness and use them to preach and teach the gospel, which is really the exact opposite of those things. As we come to this passage, we have that sort of thing in view. As the Apostle Paul is addressing the Jewish people who would also look upon their own heritage as a way to have standing above others. Rather than seeing themselves as subject to the same laws, they saw themselves as the givers of those laws and as the one who is so good at keeping it that they are able then to teach other, others the laws of God. Yet the Lord condemns them as those who attempt to teach, though they do not live the truth themselves. It's been a very convicting passage for me in many ways. I've considered my own attempts at grabbing something, anything, and calling it righteousness, rather than clinging to the righteousness of Christ. So as we come to this passage, I want us to see it from the perspective of that first century Jewish person reading it. But then I want us to transition to our own time and place and understand it here for the church today. We need to see our own attempts at creating righteousness for ourselves rather than relying upon the perfect righteousness of Christ. So as we do so, we'll break this passage into two main ideas. First, reliance upon the law, and then secondly, transformation by the Spirit. And so with that, let's look together at the text, Romans 2, verses 17 through 29. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Romans 2, starting at verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God, and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law. And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in the darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having the law an embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? 
You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. For circumcision is is indeed of value if you obey the law, but if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So, if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So let's remember last week as we looked at the first part of chapter 2, we looked at the concept of hypocrisy particularly looking at how we might easily fall into the trap of pointing the finger of judgment when it comes to the righteousness of others. The problem with this, of course, is forgetting our own works and how outside of Christ those works serve to condemn us. Even in Christ, we await a future judgment according to our works. And we talked about that last week, and we do this, uh, and what we do in this life matters because All we do should be to the glory of God and to show our love for one another. So as we move into this text today, we have a kind of specific example example of that with the Jewish people. And then an application concerning one of the most important parts of the Jewish faith, and that is circumcision. It can be really easy for us to kind of compartmentalize texts like this. Several times as we are in this book of Romans, actually it would be really easy for us to compartmentalize a text like this and skip over it mentally, not seeing it for us, but kind of seeing it for these people that kind of exist in this abstract world, these first century Jewish people. But one of the things that binds us together with those first century Jewish folks, and really any people for that matter, is our wicked hearts and how each of us have a tendency to take a good thing like circumcision, like anything good, and make it an ultimate thing, something that could save us, perhaps something that could give us righteousness. We quickly show ourselves by what we talk about the most and how we let those things affect then the way that we treat others. Christians are just as susceptible as the Jewish folks in Paul's day. So while he may be mentioning Jews specifically in this passage, The heart issues apply to anyone and everyone that would listen and read these words. So as we work through this text, we'll see our own tendencies to rely on the law rather than the Spirit. And that brings us to the first point, reliance on the law. Look with me again at verse 17. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God. So what is he so first of all before we move on, but if you call yourself a Jew, obviously wanting us to recall something from the previous passage, verses 15 and 16 kind of speak of this idea that that God has written the word his word on our hearts and that how we that's how we know what we ought to do and how we know how we ought to act. Because of this, we'll be judged accordingly. Even those 
secret things, those inward things that we have in our hearts and our minds that will be judged according to those as well. So in verse 17, it's suggesting that the Jewish person may consider themselves then outside of this judgment because of a list of things that goes on in these next few verses. So with that, let's look at verses 17 through 20 again. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know His will and approve what is excellent because you are instructed from the law, and if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? This is the idea of the Jewish, this Jewish objector that Paul has kind of made here, this, this Jewish objector that he has made, believes themselves to be above the law in many ways. Why? Because, well, the law was given to the Jewish people, right? Through, through Moses. They were instructed by the law, as we read in verse 18. They consider themselves a, a guide to the blind and even a light in the darkness in verse 19. In verse 20, it goes on that they consider themselves an instructor or probably better translated a corrector of the foolish. And remember what the foolish one says, that there is no God. right? Or someone who then is then able to teach children the way they ought to go. These are, this is very important for the Jewish people. The person that Paul is building up for us here is a person who believes themselves superior because of the information that they have. They've grown up with a particular set of information and or traditions, and it's these things that separate them from the rest of the people. It's a really hard standard to live up to. In a perfect world, maybe someone could pull it off, but in our world, which is imperfect because of sin, because of us, it's impossible. And that's what you see. He shatters this hypocrisy there in verses 21 and 22. You then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? And if you read these verses alongside many of the stories in the Old Testament, which we've been studying through quite a bit in our Sunday school time as we've been walking through those history books, and the writings even of the Old Testament prophets which speak of the sin, the specific sins even of the people of Israel, these are the sins that the people of God are continually charged with, right? Among others. But think about theft. I mean, read in Malachi, what were they doing? Were they were stealing from God by not bringing their tithes to the Lord? What about adultery? Well, it's just all over the place, right? In the Old Testament, not only the adultery of individuals against their wives, but the adultery of the people of God against God, her husband. Idolatry. I mean, it's just all over the place. This idea of robbing temples, both for monetary gain and to steal the gods so that you could worship them. Just an odd kind of thing, but this is what's happening. These are just a few of the sins that God could easily turn to in order to bring a charge against the people who would attempt to justify themselves according to the law. 
If someone would attempt to boast in the law and rely upon it for salvation, they would need to keep it perfectly. But for the Jews, they do just the opposite. Verse 23 and 24, You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Not only does their law-breaking dishonor God, but the name of God, the holy name of God, is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of them. That verse 24 quotes from Isaiah 52.5, which alludes to the fact that the Babylonians, who would bring the people of God into exile, which we've studied at length here, Right? That they would, these Babylonians would blaspheme God because he wasn't able to deliver his own people. It was like they were making fun of God because his people were going into exile. We know that God did this to chasten his people, right? To, because of their disobedience to discipline them. But to the unbeliever, it seemed as if the one true God was weak because he couldn't even save his own people. And the name of God was blasphemed because of the hypocrisy of his own people. We aren't Jewish here today, nor are we supposed to keep any of the civil or ceremonial laws of the Jewish people, but we struggle with the same hypocrisy that they did. It's really easy to see the blessings that we have in Christ, to look around us and see the blessings of the church, that we have this church and all the churches that we know of, that we've been blessed by over the years of our lives, that our friends have been blessed by, the provision of God even concerning the country that we live in, how Christianity has largely been given room to grow and thrive here pretty freely with no problems at all. It would be really easy to take all that blessing and provision that God has given us and turn around and think that it really has to do with us and how good we've been over the years. You see this in how we treat others, either in the church or outside the church. You see this in how we've turned the worship of God into kind of a concert of emotions. The way that we just, the way that we even look at God. The church has become less about God and more about How can that church serve me and provide certain things for me? The worship service has been changed to words like a gathering or an experience. Because we choose to rely on adherence to God's law rather than being transformed by the Spirit of God, we forget all about the worship of God Himself. And understand how this looks in the church today. We are slowly replacing the object of our worship for tasks concerning him. As we long, as, and as long as we are participating in these things, then we believe that God isn't all that important, or what we believe about God even isn't all that important. As long as we look or even act the part, then God's standard is really subject to change based on the culture around us. We should kind of manipulate God in order to match what we see around us. For first century Jewish folks, it took the form of them holding on to their traditions 
while the one to whom all their traditions pointed even walked among them. They held tightly. Even after the resurrection of Christ, they held on even tighter, believing that it was those things that they had to offer the world, their Jewishness, rather than the Messiah Himself. For 21st century Christians, we all have to be careful of this because we are in the same kind of danger. When we forsake God's Word for cultural appeasement, when we forsake the church for personal experience, even when we claim to love God's law, but in turn hate the lost, we are in danger. We show ourselves to be hypocrites, the ones who are indicted here. And the world will blaspheme God because of us. When we present them with a false God and a false religion, they will blaspheme the one true God every single time. Our hope is in Christ. And if we are truly changed, not through our actions, but through the Spirit's work in us, that is when we are going to see change in our lives. And that brings us to transformation by the Spirit Look with me again at verse 25. For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. So at this point, the apostle brings up circumcision, which is a Jewish sacrament. If you remember, given to Abraham back in Genesis to set the Jewish people apart for the particular work of being God's people, right? God's people whom the Messiah would one day come through. This was a part of the covenant that they had with God, which served as a, a sign of this covenant and a seal of God's covenant promises for them, much like baptism does for us today. And while circumcision was a good thing, a good thing, they had made it an ultimate thing by relying on it for righteousness. So verse 25 is essentially saying that just like the rest of the law, if you intend for any part of it to be beneficial for your salvation, you need to keep the whole of it. Paul chose circumcision because it had something to do with the Jewish people and particularly what the Jewish people were known for from all over the world. They were often referred to as the circumcised, even as a kind of derogatory term against them. And in turn, they would turn around and call the Gentile world the uncircumcised as a way to make a separation between them and the outside world. Well, Paul uses this distinction against them in the coming verses. And look with me again at 26 and 27. So if a man who is uncircumcised keeps the precepts of the law, will not his uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then he who is physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will condemn you who have the written code and circumcision but break the law. So what is he doing here? The apostle is basically equating the keeping of the law with the act of circumcision. The thing that makes a person Jewish that supposedly makes them so different from the rest of the world, if that is true, then one need only to obey the law. 
And then they'll become circumcised. Then they'll become Jewish. The physical act of circumcision is not necessary. If being circumcised is the same as obtaining righteousness by the law, then one can become Jewish simply by keeping the whole law. That person can then turn around and point the finger at those Jewish folks who would be pointing at him. And if this whole scenario seems impossible and hokey, it's because it is. That's the point. Paul is creating an odd situation to show the absurdity of thinking that by simply doing some simple physical act, one can become righteous before God. It's silly. It's absurd. And that's why it seems that way. Of course, the simple correlation here is for our own sacraments and how we think that we can somehow add to ourselves by our baptisms or by our taking of the Lord's Supper. Theologically, we may know the correct answer, yet how we think about baptism or how we think about the Lord's Supper in regards to ourselves or in regards to others often betrays what we truly believe about the gospel. We know the book answer is that these things don't actually give us a better Jesus, but in our hearts, we often get it mixed up. Then we come up with rules that probably have right answers, right? These are good things. These are necessary parts of our faith that have right answers and and good answers and they should be studied. But those right answers aren't tied up with any kind of righteousness that we think we might derive from them. Sprinkling versus dunking in baptism. Weekly communion versus quarterly communion, or every fifth Sunday, infant baptism versus believer's baptism, communion by intinction, or keeping the elements separate. And the sacraments are just a part of it. I could have went on with sacramental stuff. They're just a part of it. We have many things as Christians that we believe give us a righteous leg up on the lost, or even worse, on other Christians. That's really where we like to use these things. In reform circles in particular, it's the people that we read and we listen to. It's Burkhoff versus Grudem. It's being Reformed Baptist versus Presbyterian. It's being post-mill instead of all-mill. It's homeschooling instead of public schooling. And then it becomes more and more personal. In other circles, it's mission trips instead of service projects. It's door-to-door evangelism instead of lifestyle evangelism. It's hymns versus praise music. And we could just keep going on with these silly little rules that we have made up for ourselves. Some of those factions that I mentioned may not even make any sense to you. But they all have something in common, every one of them. None of them can earn you an ounce of righteousness outside the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Imagine Jesus' death and resurrection bringing you to about 90% of salvation and then your views on the mode of baptism bringing you the rest of the way home. That's just absurd. It doesn't make any sense at all. It's not the outward things that change us. Rather, it's what's going on inside of us that changes us. 
And it's happening through the Spirit's work in us. Look with me at verses 28 and 29. For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Notice here, Paul separates those things that are merely external from what's going on inside of us. Circumcision in reality is just pointing to something that should be going on on the inside. Several times in the Old Testament, the writers tell us that God doesn't desire outward circumcision more. He desires the circumcision of the heart. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 4, where I think this is probably directly quoting from here in Romans 2. Jeremiah chapter 4, there are several times throughout the Scriptures that you could look for this idea. But I think this these four verses capture it most poignantly. Jeremiah 4, verses 1-4, through 4, I'm going to read this and bring Romans 2 to bear on what we're looking at here in Jeremiah chapter 4. If you, O Israel, declares the Lord to me, you should return. If you remove your detestable things from my presence and do not waver, and if you swear as the Lord lives in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, then nations shall bless themselves in him and in him they shall glory. For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, break up your fallow ground and sow not among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Remove the foreskin of your hearts, O men of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, lest my wrath go forth like fire and burn with none to quench it because of the evil of your deeds." This is written to those people back in Isaiah 52 that we quoted from earlier, that those who would one day be sent to exile, this is a word for them. Jeremiah is offering this same prophecy to them, that if they would return, if they would have their actions match their words, if then what would the nations do rather than blaspheme the name of the Lord because of them? The nations would bless the name of the Lord because of them. And notice the instruction in verse 4. Remove the foreskins of your hearts. Circumcise your hearts. Because the change of heart the Lord desires. Not a mere outward appearance. And according to Romans 2, how does this happen? Well, it's the work of the Spirit. Without the Spirit's work, there's no hope for this kind of change. Rather, it will just be something that has all the appearances of keeping the law without any of the benefit. A person who has this inward change isn't desiring the praise of man because of what they're doing. Rather, they realize that their value comes alone from the Lord. And our reliance upon the law will only bring us death. In fact, it actually can't do anything else. That's all it can do. It can only point us to the fact that we are unable to keep the law. And what does God do to those who are unable to keep the law? His wrath. That's the only thing He can offer them. The law teaches us our need for a Savior. Jesus Christ alone is that Savior. 
And Jesus alone kept the terms of the law so that we can have the benefit of that. That doesn't mean that we don't keep the law. I mean, consider the sacraments. Just because they could lead us to the belief that we have salvation apart from Jesus doesn't mean that they aren't good. The sacraments aren't the problem. We are. We're the problem. A right view of Christ and a correct understanding of what we have in Him changes the way that we view the sacraments. It changes the way that we view all other good things completely. The same is true for anything that we do in Christ. Whether it's something as simple as worship style, school choice, whatever it is. All of that changes. These are all good things, but none of them can be ultimate things. They cannot be. They cannot earn us any righteousness. And this is where the rubber meets the road for the unbeliever in particular. Because for you, you may think that by simply living a good life, you're going to be okay. And understand, and I understand this completely, why you might even compare yourself to Christians and see their hypocrisy and think that you might just be okay. I 100% get it. When I consider my own hypocrisy, I know why it might be easy to look at me and think, well, I'm at least better than he is. But all your better than the next guy works cannot save you. You need perfect righteousness for salvation. And there's only one who's ever done it. And it's Jesus. You can have His righteousness by confessing that Jesus is Lord, believe that God has risen Him from the dead, call upon the name of Jesus Christ today and be saved. For the believer here, some of us may, some of this may have seemed a bit simple because we know our works can't save us. We absolutely know that. Most of us aren't rank legalists. We're just closet legalists. We don't overtly believe that our works can save us. We just believe that everyone else has to be saved by works. Namely, whatever work we choose to be our standard. So brothers and sisters in Christ, repent of your legalism and return to God. Circumcise your hearts. Be changed by the transforming power of the Spirit and its work in you. Your outward works are of little value if there is no change within. Pray that the Lord would continue to change you so that the world would bless the name of God because of you. Live a life of righteousness to the glory of God so that the world might know that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let's go to Him in prayer.